I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. The 10th bonus edition. 10 bonus episodes. That is crazy. I guess if you don't count the um, experiment, do experiments at home, one that we did the other day. This is the 10th Q&R, I guess. Okay. All right. That seems... The 10th Q&R even before we did bonus episodes? I don't know. Just the 10th Q&R. How about let's go with that? <laughs> oh, that's fun. Okay. Well, Jam, I've got some fun facts for you before we get to listener questions. Oh, sweet. Okay. So, number one. I was looking up the structure of the crystal dye that I did a video on Instagram of. Mm-hmm. And it's a Luco dye. It's called Crystal Violet. Mm-hmm. And I, I showed that video in our Instagram story. I think I've added it to our highlights or maybe I haven't, but I'll make sure I do. Okay. And I just wanted to tell you guys that that was used in forensics. Whoa. It reacts with blood to get the violet color based on the pH of blood. So then it demonstrates blood stains that were not visible prior to the use of the dye. Interesting. Weird. I know. I didn't get all the details on forensics, but I thought that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's cool. Second, I have some shouting out and some updates on the Teflon episode. Oh, sweet. Okay, let's do it. So after the Teflon episode, Sam F. asked if we could do a cast iron episode. Mm Mm-hmm. But we had already recorded it because we're trying to stockpile episodes because Jam's baby is arriving soon. Yeah. So shout out to Sam F. That was a great idea, but sorry that we had already recorded without your shout out. Yeah. Sorry about that, Sam. But this happened a couple of times where people have, a lot of people have suggested some things. We go, we go ahead and do it. And then more, more people are, continuing to suggest the idea we've already recorded it so it just proves that you had a really good question sam absolutely genius so then also on the teflon episode also a listener shout out Mm -hmm. someone did send us i wanted to mention they sent us the video for the of the farmer who's showing his cows and how sick they were after um, DuPont. Oh, yeah. Allegedly dumped all the stuff in the lake next to his house. And it was brutal. And it got me bad. Yeah, it was pretty rough. I watched the very beginning. It was longer than I expected. So I watched just the beginning and saw just a little bit. And yikes. Yikes. Let's just say that. So shout out to that guy who sent that. So if you want to... I think it was Chris, but if you want to go seek it out, it's there for the taking. (laughs) But just brace yourself that you'll probably never be able to use Teflon the same way again. Yeah. And that was, to recap, wasn't that a precursor to Teflon or something like that? Well, the stuff that he had dumped, they had dumped there. We don't really know what he had dumped, but it was a landfill they'd bought a land next to his house and they were dumping stuff on that land that was running into his land so we don't know what they right. were dumping but it was something likely related to the production of teflon something from their factory and that 
is how they got all the documents that showed a lot of the sketchy stuff that was going on with Teflon. Mm. So it was a, it was a really intense video. So we just wanted to shout out that person and that's all my fun facts. So you want to lay some questions on me? Absolutely. Let's do it. So the first question is from Vianette G and she asks, what is your full cast iron routine? That's a great question, Vianette. <laughs> My full routine is one, I preheat it. I put it on a medium to low heat and then I cook on it. And then I take it over the sink, preferably while it's still hot. If I let it get cold, sometimes I'll heat it back up, but I try to do it the same day that I cook on it. And I'll use a large cast iron scraper. They're just like, these plastic scrapers that have the perfect edge to scrape everything off. And then I use um, just like the green sponge. It's like the scratchy side of the sponge. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. And they'll sell just the green part of the sponge. Oh, interesting. So I use that to get anything left, but I don't use any soap. Although Mm -hmm. you could theoretically, but I want to leave those oils on to help the polymerization happen. Mm -hmm. And then I rinse it off and heat it back up on the stove and I heat it first to get all the water off to make sure it doesn't rust. And then I pour like a quarter size drop of canola oil on the hot pan that's been heated up and has no water left. And then I just spread it around with a paper towel. And if I'm going to use it again later that day, I'll usually just turn it off then and be done. But if I'm not going to use it for a while, then I'll heat it and make sure it gets to the smoking point because that's when it's done the polymerization usually and it won't get rancid. Mm. And um, that's my cast iron routine. Dang, interesting. pretty easy. It's very close to cleaning a nonstick pan except for the heating step at the end. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And the fact that you're not doing the soap part, you're obviously still having to scrape stuff off, but you're saving a little bit of time at least. Yeah. By not having to use soap. And so throwing it then on the burner again. Seems like it might not end up being that much longer. That's exactly right. I did also mention that I restored a cast iron pan. And when I did that one, I followed the video that Tasty, that company that does food videos, they have oh, a really good yes. cast iron. Mm-hmm. You know all about them. <laughs> did you recognize the, the sound bite? No, on, I didn't. On all the recipe videos the very end, they always have a guy just going, oh, yes. And it's like the same soundbite. They just paste it into the same, every video. Um, I had no idea. I don't think I've ever watched many of their videos besides their cast iron cleaning one. Yeah, that it's it's in every recipe video. I guess they don't do it in <laughs> their like routine videos. So I'm That's guessing funny. a lot of people out there, if you guys have watched those, you probably recognized that my impression. <laughs> Well, I, sorry, I didn't, I'm not, I live under a rock. Okay. Well, anyway, so I followed that video, but I did a step before where, um, it comes with pre-seasoning on it, new cast irons, and I don't think it's very good. So I actually just went ahead and sanded that off and Mm. then I did the steps in the video. So I just took some sandpaper and sanded my pan down first. Could you, could you feasibly like leave that seasoning? And then once it seems to be wearing off, then reseason it. I used that cast iron pan, my cast iron pan for a year and never got as good of a seasoning on it 
ever until I sanded that thing down. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So even when it was pre-seasoned and it seemed like, oh, I, one time I heated up really hot and like burned and it was not, not good. Mm -hmm. So I re-seasoned it and it just always was like sticky on the outside. It was, seemed like whatever I was trying to do to season wasn't taking on top of their pre-seasoning. So I did the sand down step and that really seemed to take care of it. Now the seasoning is on really nice. Awesome. I think that's good to know. Yeah. My brother-in-law actually just left his cast iron pan outside to rust completely and then he sanded his off. (laughs) Uh, So that's an option as well, but I decided to just go with the sanding situation. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, that's funny. Did you finish these steps on the restoring? Yep. That was pretty much it. I All that stuff there, that's all from the video. So I figured it'd be faster to just say the video. Perfect. Got it. We'll link that video in the show notes so they can follow along with what you also followed. Nice. This next question is from our friend in Australia, Shayel. She asks, what am I doing when I activate almonds? This was such a fun one. She sent us an audio clip of her asking this question. And she said, I was soaking my almonds to activate them. And then I asked myself, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) And I just really appreciated that because I think a lot of times we do things because it sounds good or because we've read about it online without asking what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I love the scientific mindset involved in what is this? Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, activating almonds is simply soaking almonds for 24 hours and then letting them dry or whatever before you eat them. And the theory behind that is that there are some compounds in almonds that are nutrient inhibitors. So theoretically, it could keep you from absorbing the nutrients in almonds as well. So... People knowing that said, well, if you soak it for 24 hours and then dry it at a low temperature, maybe a low temperature in the oven or dry them out or whatever, will these should have less of these nutrient inhibitors. But actually, um, scientists went ahead and looked into that. They had the same question you did, Shale. <laughs> and they used chromatography, anion exchange chromatography, and mass spectrometry. So those are just analytical methods to investigate. And they found that there was only a 4% decrease in the activated almonds as compared to the regular almonds. So that's a, it is statistically significant, but it's not to such a degree that it would probably be worth it to pay for the wildly expensive activated almonds. But Mm. if you personally like it, you can do that. And as long as you have the time and the energy, there is a 4% decrease. I'm not sure I would say that it's worth it. Right. There's a second paper that tested the consumer impact and they found that consumers didn't notice any change significantly between regular almonds and the almonds that were activated in their gut health at all. So might be worth it. Might not. Depends on how much you care about that 4% decrease. Right. Interesting. I didn't even know that activating almonds was a thing. 
Neither did I. I had to look it up. And my yeah. roommate happened to be in the room when I was looking it up. And she said, if you buy activated almonds, they're so much more expensive, mm. which makes sense because of the labor that's going into them. Right. Right. But it may not be worth it. Yeah. This next question is pretty fun. It's a two-parter. It's from Harry B. And I'll just read both parts. Who inspired you, Melissa, to become a chemist? And Jam, who inspired you to become a coffeeologist? Which, make sure you know that there's quotes around that. Yeah, technically Jam is an audio editor. So can we mix that in too? <laughs> Find out how you got your auditing, auditing, <laughs> your audio editing and video editing skills. Yeah, I guess I'll just answer. I can answer both of them, sure. In short. So who inspired me to be a chemist? Um, I think that would be my high school chemistry teacher, Mrs. Mullis. She had worked in industry and then she came to be a teacher and she was just a really good teacher. And I chose chemistry. I think I've said this before because my sister wanted me to do biology and my brother wanted me to do physics. Hmm. And I was like, I'm going to do what I want. That's also (laughs) why I took French instead of Spanish, which is a bummer because now my nephew speaks Spanish and I do not. I had made the same mistake about French, by the way. <laughs> it did come in handy when I was in Paris. So yeah, it's like maybe that was worth it's it. It's definitely cool, just geographically less significant to us in in Texas, um, where we're just around Spanish speaking people way more. A hundred percent. So on that vein, you could say that my brother and sister inspired me to be a chemist by me wanting to not be like them. <laughs> But I would see people come out of Miss Mullis's class with like silvered test tubes or they had grown little crystals or they held fire in their hands. And I was like, I have to be in that class. And I loved it. Mm. So I think that was the beginning of my love of chemistry. But there were countless people along the way that helped me see its beauty and made me want to keep doing it, but I just liked it. And I really liked the research lab I, I was in mm. making new things was pretty cool. So I think that's it. So I had a teacher who made really beautiful things and I saw people come out of our classroom with that stuff and thought I have to have her for my class next semester. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay. So I guess I answer first what, inspired me to become or who or whatever inspired me to become a media person. Um, I think the first person would have been my art teacher in middle school and high school because I feel like she just really encouraged a lot of creativity. And even though like for a long time I was planning on going into painting and charcoal and, and that kind of thing. And then I realized, I don't know if I want that to be my job. I don't know if I'd be even good at that being my job. Like I think I would be right. pretty bad at it um, because I'd have to, like not be so slow. I was really slow. And so, but she just really encouraged a lot of creativity. And I watched a lot of films that got me super into film, which is what my gateway was into just media work in general. And so, uh, directors like Wes Anderson and Stanley Kubrick and, um, Francis Ford Coppola and Paul Thomas Anderson and Terrence Malick. Those are just a few that kind of like opened my brain to seeing how amazing film could be and just getting really excited about stories. And then in college, what really got me into nonfiction type of media, so documentary or podcasting or whatever, 
um, I would say was, and I went ended up studying documentary for the most part, as well as other types of media production, but I did as much documentary as I could because there are a few documentary filmmakers that really got me excited about telling real stories and how awesome that can be. Documentary filmmakers like um, D.A. Pennebaker and Frederick Wiseman and the Maisel brothers, I watched a lot of their films in college and that got me just like so excited about how cool it can be to capture real stories in some way. So that's why I studied a lot of documentary and did sort of nonprofit documentary work for a while. So that's kind of a smattering of an answer about how I ended up doing media stuff. Um, but it's definitely, I, have, I owe it a lot of credit to, um, to professors and teachers I've had, but also inspiration from, from filmmakers and stuff. That's beautiful, Jim. And I had some great professors at, at UNT. It's hard to just name one. That's why I only named my art teacher in high school. Cause I feel like she was kind of this beginning piece to it, but I don't want UNT professors to not think that they had a huge impact on me for sure. That's why we care so much about education here at Chemistry for Your Life. Amen. <laughs> and what about the coffeeologist? What who inspired you to become a coffeeologist? I think there's a couple people. One or I'm gonna say three. One of them is one of the baristas that used to work at a coffee shop called Seven Mile here in Denton, which was the first like third wave like specialty coffee shop um, in Denton, at least whenever I was a student still. It was back in 2012 or so. And What's a third wave? Third wave coffee is just a way of describing this era of coffee that we're in of uh, a focus on high quality and fair trade. It's like an ethical uh, period we're in and a purity kind of period we're in. So okay, um, it's where a lot of the kind of hipster vibes are coming from. But it, I think the, the principles are really cool about like highest quality, purest cup of coffee and great ethics and care for people at the same time. Cool. So there, there's that coffee shop called Seven Mile and there was a barista there named Trent who really got me into coffee. He talked a lot about the coffees that they had and... I would ask him questions and he'd answer them. So that was really cool. Um, so he definitely had an impact. Then I had a friend named Jay who really got me into coffee as well and kind of kept, helped me. Friend of that podcast, our number one hype man, Jay. Yes. That's the one, one and the same. So he really, uh, was somebody to like nerd out about coffee with and talk about it with. And so I think he really helped me continue down the path of just liking coffee and, he helped point me toward other shops I didn't know about in the Dallas area and stuff like that. Um, and just was really cool. And then the last person is a coffee roaster guy in the Denton area um, named Combs Coffee. And he really encouraged people to home roast. He just thinks it's a cool thing for everybody to try at some point. And also a thing that's like anybody could do it in a way. Like you could, you could home roast coffee on a walk, uh, in a walk on your stove kind of thing. So he really pushed me to just try it. And then I was kind of hooked. And so that's why I both love brewing my own coffee and care a lot about that. And then also now I've gotten to the extreme measure of also roasting my own coffee like a nerd. So yeah, you're definitely a coffee nerd. As much as I love chemistry, you love coffee for sure. I, I yeah, I agree with that. That's why we could, that's why we get each other, you know? Yeah. Just our passion, you know? 
Well, this has been a fun episode, but before we wrap up, I do just want to say thanks to those people who have gone out of their way to go to our Ko-Fi page and donate just the cost of a cup of coffee. And we just want to remind you guys that this really is something that helps the show go. This is a hobby for Jam and I, and it is really helpful for us to have additional resources to be able to invest in the show and keep the show going and help even more people to learn about chemistry, which is our goal. So thank you so much for believing in that vision and helping more people to learn about coffee. <laughs> helping more people to learn about chemistry. So this week we'd like to thank Esty and Peta. Peta is a real life friend of mine also. And Esty has become a friend of the show, also a chemist. So that was exciting to see those familiar names on there. And we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for supporting us. Yeah, it means a lot. Thank you all so much. And thank you all for submitting questions. We love getting to hear from you guys, chemistry questions and just fun questions like Harry's questions this week. So thank you all for doing that. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. And we'd like to give a special thanks to E. Robinson, who reviewed this episode.